I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Anita Sanchez, PhD, author, speaker, and leadership consultant. Her new book is The Four Sacred Gifts, Indigenous Wisdom for Modern Times. Given the ongoing changes in our economic, social, political, and physical environment, we are often left gulping for air as we ride the powerful waves of change. Modern life overloads us with information, yet lacks the true wisdom we seek. Anita Sanchez explains our powerful powerful gifts that will guide you to healing and transformation, supporting your journey to wholeness. With four decades of experience coaching and training executives and their teams in dozens of Fortune 500 companies, governmental groups, and non-governmental agencies, she's an established leader in global organizational change initiatives. She's a member of the Transformational Leadership Council with Jack Canfield, Marianne Williamson, and John Gray. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on today. Thank you so much, Catherine. I'm glad to be here. Okay, so we, uh, I guess the first, what is it? I don't know. I'm going to ask you the first question as we talk about you're a transformational business leader. Um, To me, sometimes transformational and business don't go together, but in your case, it does. So can you sort of explain to us that distinction or that, you know, that description of you? Yes. What, when I speak of, I think it's transformational in particular, and as you said, how does that go with business? Well, clearly we need transformation in business, not just more transactions. You take this, I get this, you get that, I get this. What we're doing is my focus is on, as I work with leaders and their teams and their organization, is what is it is that being called for that actually not only changes what you do, but how you do it? So... And how you think and how the, so it's whole system kind of change. And an example of this is, uh, uh, I'm going to take, uh, Hewlett Packard, and this was written about so I can speak of my client, but they, um, they were looking at their ink print business became very flat. It was becoming a commodity. And it was like, okay, so we can keep doing the same thing or we can try and to create a new model, but what is it that really is being asked for? And it was transforming leadership. It was for people to be able to see themselves as leader, no matter what their role, from the entry point of uh, whatever level in the organization. And so we created a process using positive psychology to have people engage in uh, an appreciative approach to what was happening. And they began seeing themselves having a different frame of reference of who they are. Many talked about even changing their worldview of no longer thinking of themselves as separate separate silos, but rather as part of an interconnected whole, and that every behavior, thought, action they had had an impact. So it was a transformation, a way of being and seeing yourself, not only the doing, but it's all of it. So giving the Hewlett-Packard example, and you're talking about, let's say, the CEO of Hewlett-Packard, and then you take the person who was maybe, maybe the administrative assistant. The administrative mm-hmm. assistant would see herself or himself as a leader as well as has having leadership as being a part of the whole, not just the lowest person on the totem pole. And that 
Exactly. Yeah. Well, let me clarify. So, yeah, it would ignite their leadership so that they'd understand their role because it's a powerful one when you're an administrative assistant. You're, you're the gatekeeper for what happens. So how, if you really look at who you are and the power you have, because we diminish so much the power that we have, that you are able to help make some positive things happen, a facilitator of that throughout the organization. So, yes, but I want to make in terms of low person on the totem pole, that in indigenous, I know from external, people think of it as hierarchical, but however, it's not. Every layer of that totem pole is not hierarchical. So the, 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 the visual at the bottom, the totem at the bottom is really not as, is, is as powerful as the one at the top. It's all connected. And that's one of the indigenous mindsets that I use inside a corporation is understanding our connectedness rather than the illusion of separateness as if what I do has no significance, whether I'm in an organization of a dozen or an organization of 200,000. It does. We are so intimately interconnected. Yeah. Well, the person at the top can't do their work, his or her work, if the person at the other end isn't doing their work. I, yeah. It reminds me of one of my kids came home from school. I, maybe it was middle school. And I remember they said, who's more important, a lawyer or the garbage collector? And I, of course, I knew it was a somewhat of a trick question. He said, and I said, well, I said, a lawyer. And he goes, of course not. He said, the garbage, if, if we, if one lawyer, if the lawyers stop working, we can still go on. But if the garbage collectors stop, we're really cooked. We can't, society can't continue, but it's sort of not exactly the same example, but, but, but similar. No, I get, um, I, yeah, it's being able to understand rather than be caught in the mainstream about what's more important, who's more educated, yeah. who all these the titles and stuff to really look at the functionality. So as a thought leader, as a, uh, and why you're saying well, it's not exactly the same, it's because it's really holding both. Both are important. Context matters, but they both are, can be either what we call good medicine, helping to bring into alignment the spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical, or they can be bad medicine, anything that takes that apart, that takes that out of alignment, whether we're talking about an individual or we're talking about a home, a city, or a nation, or the world. Okay, talk about good medicine. I know you have these uh, four or three connections that uh, you talk about in the book, recognizing connection, practicing good medicine. But talk about good medicine. I always like to bring it into what's happening to us right now. You're talking about it in the corporate culture, but we're practicing bad medicine right now, aren't we, culturally? Mm, yeah. We absolutely are, Catherine. You, yeah, we're all experiencing that, and it's, uh, it's very painful. Yeah, so bad medicine is anyone or anything that takes out of alignment, either purposely or unconsciously, out of alignment, that flow, that integrity, the dignity that is worthy of all beings, of the spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical – Anything that takes that out of alignment, out of flow, out of dignity is bad medicine. And good medicine is anyone or anything that puts that all back into alignment, the spiritual, emotional, mental, and spirit, uh, physical. And so what we're experiencing right now is a lot of uh, leadership at all different kinds of levels, but clearly in the top and leaders all over the world, a number of them who are purposely, it feels like, it seems like from where their, uh, what they write, what they say, what we're getting on the news, of, you know, purposely taking out of alignment, being bad medicine, not treating each other with dignity, 
calling out, actually inflaming what we would call bad medicine. And what, what elders, what indigenous people, what we're taught from being very little is that we have a choice every moment of every day of whether we're going to be good medicine or bad medicine. And of course, when you're bad medicine, you not only hurt the recipients of your bad medicine, you are hurting yourself because everything is connected so that what is happening to you internally is not a healthy thing either. When we go around uh, consciously, you know, not treating people or the earth um, or each other with dignity, which is a basic right of everyone is worthy of dignity. I'm not saying respect. Respect can be earned. But dignity, just by being, being alive, being present, you are worthy of dignity. Not everything we do is respectful, but we're worthy of that. So when you have leaders doing bad medicine, it's hurtful, which to me then charges forward like, okay, how can I be even good, strong medicine? How can I do that every moment of every day, make that choice so that we can bring back into right relationship with ourselves and with others? Well, you gave the example of Hewlett-Packard. What, who else is doing that? Who else, whether it's business, individuals, countries, uh, leaders of specific countries? Well, uh, yeah, do, I think you can who's look doing at the country. Who's practicing a, good the medicine? Country. Yes. So, for example, I would say Bhutan, uh, you know, in Asia, is a country that's giving an example of good medicine. So what they are doing is, like, let's not just measure the financial and economic things that to show in terms of whether our country is prospering. In addition to that, let's look at the happiness quotient. Let's look at our health, our well-being. And, and so they've added that, which has caused the conversation for other nations to look at, well, wait a minute, and there is a conversation happening inside of homes, individuals, thought leaders, uh, people wanting to, like, how can I be more effective? How can I be healthier, happier, and spread that, what is life-giving, rather than that which is destroying life? So Bhutan, I think, is an example of that at a, at a national level. I think individually, I see women, oh my gosh, and I know you do too, Catherine, women of all ages just really taking on, like, what is my purpose? And no longer being silent. Um, maybe historically we've been silenced in different ways, living under a particular, this particular system. But rising up and seeing men being allies to that, you know, going forward and um, speaking our truth, doing that in terms of not about tearing down, but about being pro, what I call a pro-activist proactive in what we want to create with is a healthy present and a healthy future for our children and the children of all species so that we have truly a life-giving situation here rather than a destructive one. So we are, as you're saying, or as you see it, well, women have been evolving in terms of their, I say power, but in a good way and the support from men. Uh, it's it's a slow process, and so we're just kind of emerging from all of the sort of, I think, the patriarchal stuff that we've had to deal mm-hmm. with, at least in our country or our, our culture. But you said changing the conversation. So we have to change the conversation ev- everywhere, right? We have to change it for our ch- children, whether at schools, work, in all of those situations. Is that what you're saying? And then we begin yes. to do different, yeah. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely, Catherine, because it is, how do we, how do we 
for example, indigenous people for millennium, the, the belief systems, the things that we've taught about that we're connected to the earth, we're connected to each other, to be one hoop of life. We're not first world, second world, developed world, undeveloped. It's one world. That whole training, how did that come about? That came about from a repeated narrative, a repeated connection in ceremony, uh, in quiet and in dance, uh, in using our language and be, stay, keeping that connection. So now when we're in this illusion of separateness, everything is separate, I'm alone, I'm lonely, on and on and on, depression rising, all the different things that we're seeing is that the narrative needs to change. There is uh, just a really quick story. I take people every year to the Amazon, uh, to the depths of the, the, where the headwaters of the Amazon Amazon begins to be with dream cultures, these several tribes that are there. And one of the things as they hear our story of what's happening outside of the Amazon, they look at us and they're just like, well, you need to dream a new dream. You need to go back to sleep, dream a new dream, one that's life-giving and healthy because it's not only hurting you, it's hurting us too. And then follow that dream with your behavior and your actions and speak of it. So that's even, you know, in the depths of the Amazon rainforest and what we know through science too, what we say matters. It has an impact on our physiology, on our brain, our ability to either be in flight, fight, freeze, or to move forward to collaborate and co-create. So this narrative is not like, oh, let's just change the story. This is a powerful, powerful medicine that each of us can contribute to by what we share. I, I did hear earlier in your earlier interview something about when you put something out and you can't take it out back. An indigenous belief, and I was taught this as I was little, be careful of what you say. Be careful of even what you think. For once you put that out, you can't take it back. What you can do, though, is put out new message that, so if we fail, if we fall into this negativity and this destructive kind of that's not life-giving, we, we can't take it back. It's out there, but we can put out now the new, which is basically looking at how we're interconnected, how we can care for ourselves and each other, how healing begins from the inside out. So we and really have we, to be we have a lot aware. Of power. I guess awareness, self-awareness is really critical mm-hmm. and really be yeah. tuned in to what we say and then, of course, what we do. I think sometimes we just go about, you know, we say things, we do things, we don't even think about it and don't really understand the impact. Of course, it takes, you're taking people to the Amazon to actually see it, to see people who are sort of practicing what you preach, um, maybe more of us need to do that in terms of educating <laughs> ourselves. Yes, well, you're always yeah. welcome to go to the Amazon. I do that through the Pachamama Alliance, a nonprofit. However, not all of us can go there, and that also wouldn't be good because it would be destructive if everyone descended on the Amazon. However, we can practice that in our own homes. We can practice that even with ourselves, that little critical negative self-talk that many of us have that comes in our head. It's, that, it's trying to help us and protect us, but oftentimes that negativity also paralyzes us and stops us from doubting our power and what we see is possible. So we just have to imagine quieting that, put it in our, I actually imagine putting it in my hand and say, you'll be just fine. I'm going to do this. I'm choosing to do this. You'll just be fine, my little critic, because I appreciate it too. I know at some point you're, you're trying to help me, but 
this is what I'm going to do in moving forward, even if it's moving into some arenas I've not worked in or uh, shared my voice and my opinion in, is that, no, I want to spread this world of work of our interconnection. I'll bring along science as well as the indigenous wisdom to help us create a healthy present and a healthy future. See, you're the kind of person we need because sometimes when people talk about these kinds of things, it's like, well, that's kind of touchy-feely. It's too spiritual. It doesn't really fit into what I do and my work and my company. But you, uh, having what the, it says, the four for four decades, you've been coaching and training mm-hmm. Fortune 500 companies. So you're just bringing this into the, I don't want to say the real world, the practical world. You know, you, you'll hear as a social worker, uh, people will say, ah, you know, I don't have time for that. I've got, you know, I just have to get up in the morning, go to work, do what I do. And, and um, I don't have much of an impact anyway. But you're... <laughs> but we now, we, Catherine, we have... So uh, this original wisdom was there, that we knew that even the thoughts and the words we had, they have an impact. But now we have science catching up and, and saying with our applied neurophysiology, we know that when we just imagine something and if we're hooked up, we can see what's happening with our brainwaves. We, we know that if we are bound by fear and stuff, what happens is all of the wonderful glucose in our body gets shunted instead of going to our forebrain where we can do planning and have clarity and get into decision-making. Instead, it gets blocked by the amygdala. And the amygdala is, is a wonderful part of our brain. It's had for, for millennium about helping us to survive so that we're not destroyed by a tiger eating us or something. So what happens is the sugar, instead of going to our forebrain, it gets stopped there. And the only response we have there is fight, flight, or freeze. Well, now people are acting as if it's the tiger coming after us. And so we have to train the brain. We have to do a mental practice. We have to keep our body in motion. We have to image different things. We are breathing, all these kinds of things that we were taught through our dance, our language, our ceremonies as indigenous people. We now can teach people in ways that they can do so that they can have clarity and be present rather than being triggered by past things or fear when that is not the response that's needed at that moment. So we, it's a great time to be alive. Even though there's all these challenges, we get to rise to those challenges and put forward all the things that we know to be true about who we really are, our own sacredness and the sacredness of others. And companies are listening. Um, leaders, yes, it was harder back in the 70s when I was in the 80s when I see, but now they get it. They can see, oh gosh, if our people go outside and walk around the block, they come back more alert, reconnecting the earth. If they just take some breaths in the middle of a meeting rather than rushing forward, it allows some clarity and some censoring before we get back into it. It's just a lot of things now that looked woo-woo, meditation no longer is woo-woo. People understand this is this is part of our own physiology of how we can operate better. Um, and that's this is the science. The science, yes, yes, backs us up. And that's what, I guess, leads me to my next question, because as I said in the uh, intro, you're a member of the Transformational Leadership Council, Jack Canfield, Marianne Williamson, John Gray, you. What do you guys do? What are you doing? What does the council do? Yes, well, the council... 
um, meets a couple of times a year in, in private. There's 100, about 140 members. And we meet and we share with each other what we're seeing. Because we're, we're, some of are in political arena. Some are doing a lot of mindfulness work. Some are inside a business. Some are working with children. We're in all different kinds of sectors. But what unites us is we're all about transformation. And although they don't use the good medicine, that's what basically they're looking at putting into alignment all these different levels from the spiritual to the body. And so we share what we're doing, what we're seeing. So it informs us, it uplifts us. We bring in other speakers, we share with each other, and then we go out again. And um, we recently had a meeting and it was powerful. We were looking at a lot of futurist things and what were we seeing in these organizations and tools that we're using. And, um, and then it just, it's a, it's a supportive because what we do know is we do nothing alone. That's, that's uh, illusion also of the separateness. So even if you're the CEO, you don't do anything alone. You have all sorts of supports to get there, and you have supports as you're there. If you're the, the woman who heads the household, you're not alone. It can feel lonely, but you're not alone. You have all sorts of uh, uh, beings that help you both two-legged, as I say, your relatives and your other members of your family, but you have the ox- air, you have the trees, you have the water that gives us of the rivers that are nourishing us every day we wouldn't have life so it's exciting that's what we do at transformational leadership council is just keep uplifting seeing what are the challenges but where it is that energetically we can go and then we go off and do our work and we meet in a private space twice a year we don't tell anybody about it just because not for me but there's paparazzi after some of the people and we just share and from the heart and that's also very key, is we don't leave so our I'm mind behind, you, but we I wanna, share we from the heart. We only have a few minutes left, and I want to know, okay. and maybe you can't share this, but how, I mean, there must be differences among you. You said you have there are over 100 oh, of you, yes. and how you do things, and how you, you know, your own particular focus and perspective. How do you handle that amongst your own group? Well, we do mindfulness, too. We do. <laughs> we start every morning with meditation and Qigong. And then we have meetings where they don't go on and on. We give pauses so people can move. We a lot of time networking. So we take care of our body. We take care of our spirit. We bring in information. So it's, it's being really conscious of every moment of what we're doing because it matters. You, every one of us is worthy. And so it matters on how we're being as well as the doing. That's your, that, um, that's a, Great description of, of, I guess, how you manage your meetings. How about mm-hmm. you? Per, yeah, and I was just going to say, like, how about personally in your own family? How does this play out for you? Yes. Well, I have, and so here, I don't want to make everything rosy. Growing up, I had really wonderful indigenous wisdom teaching us this about sitting in circle, about being outside feet on the ground, talking, sharing our dreams. But I also had a secret, had some very abusive uh, situation uh, uh, experience from age 4 to 13, and I kept that a secret. And what I do know is what allowed me to survive that was to have the other processes there in place to me, which was the breathing, which was being in circle, which was you know, all the things that now I get to teach. I add my PhD in organization development to it, but I get to teach people about even in the midst of some difficult things, we can bring that forward. So family meetings, listening, listening and listening, whether it's a two-year-old or a 90-year-old, listen. There is wisdom at every age and just 
listen, acknowledge people, has great healing power, wonderful information can be conveyed, and love as well. A great way to end the interview, but so, because we have a couple minutes left, tell us where we can get more information about you, websites, about your book, and obviously also all the work that you're doing. Mm Yes, thank you so much, Catherine. Yes, if you go to foursacredgifts.com, that's F-O-U-R, foursacredgifts.com, you'll be able to find links to all of my other websites and information about the book and the four gifts for you to use that are no secret. The power to forgive the unforgivable, the power of unity, the power of healing, and the power of hope. We all have these abilities, and they will help you be in right relationship with yourself and others. Thank you. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Anita Sanchez, PhD, author, speaker, and leadership consultant. Great talking to you today. With Thank you. you. <laughs> I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel.